Amen. What a beautiful message and song. Would you take out your Bible with me this morning and turn with me to the, um, to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. It's near the very end of your Bible there. Go ahead and find that. Turn there. Uh, we'll be in the first chapter of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 and we'll join you there in just a moment. We'll stand and we'll read God's Word together. And as you're finding your place there in Scripture, in 1 John, remember there's the Gospel of John, but then there are three letters of John. So the first letter of John in the, near the end of your Bible, 1 John chapter 1. Well, we all tell ourselves a story. We all tell ourselves a story. It's a narrative that we tell ourselves to make sense of life, this world, and our place in it. We all tell ourselves this unique story. We might call it our worldview. It's not just a physical view of life, but it is more than that. It is a philosophical one. It is, it is this all-encompassing perspective on reality that each one of us have, and we all have a story that we tell ourselves. We all have this understanding of reality. Dan Taylor put it this way, human beings are story-shaped creatures. We are born into stories, raised in stories, and we live and die in stories. And so that is who we are as human beings. We make sense of this world in story. Uh, we ask questions and we answer questions to help us frame each of our unique perspectives in our stories. Questions like, who are we? And why are we here? And, and what do we value? And, and where have we been? And, and where are we going? And anytime we enter into asking and answering questions like that, we are telling a story. We are giving ourselves this narrative. We are, we are describing our life in story. And that's why we can, in any area of life, two people, two very different people, can look at the exact same information and they can draw from that information two different stories, um, two different narratives. Uh, we see this all the time in the news, regardless of which channel you're flipping on. It's the same data, it's the same information, but it's taught and it's told in a largely different story. You see, it all depends on the narrative of where you place that information, because we are story creatures, and we live life in light of story, and we take everything in our life and we put it into a framework, and so when we tell people about our life and who we are, even how we introduce ourselves. We're giving them a story. We're telling them where we were and now where we are. And, 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 and as we think about that, as we think about that every one of us have a story and every person's life tells a story, all of our lives are filled with different things in each story. Um, if we were to have literally compiled the story of our life into written form, and some people do that, don't they? What do we call those? Biographies or autobiographies. And, and someone takes the story of their life and they put it into this written form. And, and some of those things in the story are quite positive. And then there are other seasons or other chapters of their life that are 
what seem negative, and, and every person's story is filled with good people and bad people, and good guys and bad guys, and, and, and we all have these ways of framing ourselves. Some, some, some chapters in our story seem like quite a drudge, and, and we're just wondering, when can we say, you know, end of chapter, whatever, beginning of chapter, we, we want to get there. And yet other chapters in our life are quite exhilarating, they're quite thrilling, As someone once said, some people seem to author their own story while others seem to have the pen snatched from their hands. It seems like, wait a minute, some people, they just can cast whatever vision for their life and it paints this beautiful picture and other people, they're they're, they're going after life and and then something throws a wrench in it. And it it seems as if we have to um, make up for that. Some of the stories of our life feel quite hopeless. Some of the stories of our life feel like there is no light in sight. In fact, that is the story of humanity. You know, the story of humanity is like unending chapters filled with all sorts of rebellion, greed, every form of wickedness, sexual perversion and exploitation, all sorts of disaster and envy and murder, sorrow and slavery. Titus, as he was describing humanity, he put it this way, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient and led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hating others and hating one another. Paul describes the history of humanity this way. He says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so when we think about the story of humanity, it is actually quite bleak, isn't it? I mean, you just pick up and read the history books, and although there are elements of great victory or what seem like great joy, there's actually much sorrow and war and devastation. But the Bible tells us that God is also telling us a story. God's story begins in eternity past. And it stretches into eternity future. It is a story of redemption. It's a story of restoration. The theme of God's story is shalom. It's peace. It's peace. And that's where God's story begins. And it is certainly where God's story ends. There is this peace in which every one of God's created people, every one of God's created things are in their proper place. They are relating to one another as they were created to do. And they are in this loving relationship. Isn't that how we end in Revelation chapter 21? And we read of this new heaven and this new earth. And we, and we read of, of, of God's people dwelling in shalom, in peace with their creator. Like that is God's story. And God is telling us a story. Even in our Bible, we open it up in Genesis chapter one, verse one, the Bible says, in the beginning God, it's, it's introducing us to this story. And God's story, as is revealed in Scripture, has high points and low points. And there is a climax in the story. It's actually a climax that happened nearly over 2,000 years ago. It is when Jesus, God's Son, enters into his creation. God himself enters into our creation as a suffering servant. And he gives his life, he identifies with us And he goes to a cross and he is buried, but then three days later, he rises again. That is the climax in God's story. 
And you and I, as, we, as the Bible reveals it to us, we, we see this story that God is authoring. One of love and of light and life. And it is an amazing story. It is the greatest of all stories. It is the grandest of all stories. And what's so amazing about the Bible is that God is inviting each one of you into his story. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. But God, by his grace, would rewrite the story of your life into his story. We actually see it here in John chapter 1 this morning. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to read John's first chapter. And as we read John's chapter, I want you to see John is laying out for us this story. He is laying out this story of what God has been saying from the dawn of time And notice how he begins it in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Follow along with me in your Bible. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify it and proclaim to you the what? what? What is John proclaiming? The eternal life. The story of God. What God is doing in this world. John says, I'm proclaiming to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, with which we have seen and heard and proclaimed to to you also. So that you too, if you mark in your Bible, just underline the two words, you too. John is proclaiming the eternal life the life that was with the Father and was manifested by the Son. And he has revealed these things, notice at the end of verse 3, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is what? Light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we what? We lie. We lie, and, and, and notice the Bible says, and do not practice the truth, but if we walk in the light, in verse 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us your story. You've invited us to take part in your story. Lord, actually, in fact, our lives find its most greatest meaning, fellowship, and joy when we are in your story doing what it is you have called us and created us to be. Father, we pray this morning that your spirit would be our teacher. And we pray that this morning, God, you would open up our eyes to the truth of your word. You are light. And so, Lord, we pray that your light would dispel darkness in our soul. We pray that your light would illumine our heart. God, help us to walk in it, to live in it. And we'll ask it in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. You can be seated. 
So this morning, I want you to just see a very simple reality, and that is what John's gospel is inviting every one of us into. In John chapter 1, John is telling us that God is inviting you into his story. I love how he puts it in chapter 1, because John is seeing all of this as an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. You remember, John was one of the 12 apostles, and as he had spent years with Jesus in his earthly ministry, John says, I'm not telling you something about which I cannot speak to. John says, I'm telling you something about which I know. He says, do you see all of those ways? He says that what we have heard from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John says, hey, I'm not telling you something that I don't understand about. I'm telling you something that I know. He says, I have been with Jesus. We have experienced Jesus. And notice Jesus was made manifest. We have seen it and testifying. And John says, this is what I'm proclaiming to you, church. Eternal life, the story of God in what he is authoring for this world. You see, because of Jesus, when you and I come to know the Lord as our Savior, the entire trajectory of our life changes. How many of you can raise your hand and you remember the day that you came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? How many can raise your hand? Now, I want you to think back to your life from that moment forward. And I want you to think, how has the trajectory of your life changed since you have begun this relationship with Jesus. You see, the Bible clearly teaches that for a moment of saving faith, that by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we enter into this relationship. The Bible describes it as being born again. We've been adopted into the family of God. It's a word of relationship. It's a word that we were not once far away from God, but now he has reconciled us together. There is this idea that now we are one. We are in Christ. It's what Paul teaches us in Galatians. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, Paul says, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, the story of the gospel is God taking poor, wretched sinners, undeserving of grace, deserving of wrath and judgment, and God takes those people and he adopts them. He makes them family. He welcomes them in. He gives undeserving slaves his life, his light, his love. And John says, notice, look in your Bible at verse five. Notice how John says it in verse five. He says, this is the message. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. What is John, what is this message that God, this story that God is inviting us into? It begins in verse five with this foundational reality that God is light. Now, that doesn't say that God is a light. It's not saying that God gives forth light. What the Bible is saying is that God is light. David said it this way in the Psalms, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know, Paul describes it this way. He says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light. God is light, and John says, and in him there is no darkness at all. You say, what's the significance about what John is saying? Two things, that God is light. John is using that word to describe God's truth, that he is true. He is true. 
There is no darkness in him. There is no deception in him. That, that when he says there is no darkness at all, in the original language, that's a double negative. It's literally like John saying there is not no darkness. Like there is no not darkness. There's not any. Like, like lest we would somehow be confused in our life that God is the author of evil or that God is the source of evil or that somehow there is something dark in him. John says, no, there is no darkness in him at all. God is light. God is truth. God is pure. He, is, he dwells in this unapproachable light. You see, light in its, in its finest, purest form is just, it's just, just purity. There's, there's no immorality. There's no wickedness. All the false idols in the Old Testament that we read about are all these false, immoral, wicked practices of people sacrificing children. Immorality and orgies in these temples. That is not the God that we worship. God that we worship, the Bible says we worship in spirit and in what? Truth. God is light and there is no darkness at all. Jesus said this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is true. Turn to your neighbor and tell him this morning, he is true. He is light. He is truth, but he is also purity. He is good. Turn to your neighbor and tell him this morning, he is good. This is who God is. He is pure, right, True and good. And and the reality of realities is this, that the day that you died to yourself and you came to know Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says you are transferred out of a domain of darkness and you have been brought into the kingdom of his dear son. Those two kingdoms look nothing alike. One is full of greed and envy and strife, but one is full of righteousness and truth in goodness. And when we come to know Christ and we are transferred out of a dominion of darkness into a kingdom of his son, we receive the greatest longings in the human heart. You know, what does John tell us? He says, what are the greatest longings of every human being? He tells us at the end of verse three and verse four, so that you may have, what's the word? End of verse four, verse three, so that you may have what? Say it louder, so that you may have what? Fellowship. And notice at the end of verse four, and he says, and that our joy may be complete. You see what John is telling us? He is telling us that the the two greatest longings of the human heart are for these two things, for fellowship and joy. And the moment that you come to know Christ as your savior, and you are entering into this kingdom of light, God's story wants you to receive those two things. The things that your heart longs for, the things in your soul that you know that you need. The kingdom of God is full of fellowship and joy. Like those are things that every one of us long for, is it not? Fellowship? That's a big word we don't really use, but it's definitely not talking about an after-church social. It's not talking about potlucks. When you hear fellowship, Baptist church says potluck, all right? Jesus didn't save us for potlucks. Saved us for more than that. Amen? That was weak. Amen. Amen. He saved us for more than a potluck. He saved us for fellowship. This fellowship with the Father is is a word of intimacy. It's, It's a word that implies to know and to be known. It's this idea that 
that there is this closeness. There is, there, is, there is no shame. There is no turning away. There is there's just this nearness, this fellowship, and joy. Joy. Well, that's a word that's absent from our world today, isn't it? This is not just happiness, but this is peace and well-being. This is great fulfillment and great pleasure. And guess what? God in his story longs to give you those two things. Fellowship and joy. What what your heart, what your soul desperately longs for, God desires to give to you. He desires that you might experience this, this deep fellowship in this deep joy. But just because God wants to give them to me doesn't mean that we always receive them. You know that? I mean, just because God desires to give those things to us doesn't mean we always receive them. There there is a challenge in our life that we have to overcome to receive those things in our life. Do you know what that is? Here, I'll spell it for you. We spell it S-E-L-F. What is that? Self. You know, the greatest hindrance in my life to experience this fellowship and joy that God wants to give me is me. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this morning, it's you. And then turn to the other one, just in case they forget, it's you. Hey, our greatest hindrance to receiving what God wants to give us is ourself. It's ourself. It's our sin. It's our pride. It's our selfishness. Notice, notice how John describes it here in this gospel. He is saying that, notice, God is, he, he wants their fellowship to be complete. He wants their joy to be complete. But we don't always experience fellowship and joy. In fact, a lot of us go many days without actually experiencing what God would have us to experience on those days. You know why we do? We have no one else to blame. We actually, we try to blame other people, right? We try to blame our family or our job or, or some external situation as to why we are not having the fellowship and the joy that we long for. But the Bible would look you dead square in the face as we look into the mirror of God's word and say, the problem in your life is not outside of you. The problem in your life is inside of you. Like you're your own problem to why you're not receiving the fellowship and joy that comes from God. It's because of yourself. How many times do we see this spelled out in the scriptures that that we stand apart from what we need because of our pride. We stand apart from what we need because of our sin. But you know, the great news of the gospel, and here's God's story, is that you and I are one confession away from forgiveness and joy in God. I don't know where you're at this morning, and I surely don't know what you've been through, but the message of the Bible is this. There's good news. You're just one confession away from fellowship and joy in the Holy Spirit. Isn't this what James said in his letter to a people who were so embittered in their passions and in their quarrels? James speaks to them and he calls them out. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? I mean, if we really are honest with ourselves, do I want to be an enemy of God? Do I want to contend with the Almighty? Do I want to somehow work against the sovereign of the universe? 
Because the Bible's clear that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Humble yourselves before the Lord. John says it here in verse 7. Look down in your Bible in verse 7. John says it this way. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we, notice verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, when we read those two verses, there are two words in verse 7 and in verse 9 that are so significant. And if we don't understand both of these words, then we'll miss exactly what John is saying for us. The first important word that makes all the difference in this passage is in verse 7 and in verse 9. It's the word all. Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses us from how many sins? All. Notice verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how many unrighteousnesses? All. All. He saves me and forgives me of all. John is not writing this to people who do not know God. John is writing his letter to believers, to people who have said that they have entered into this relationship with God, but they still sin. Is this bearing witness with you this morning? Are any of you children of God, but you still sin? Can I see your hand? Good. This is good news for you this morning. Because the Bible says that even when we come to Christ and we are forgiven, and as a Christian, we're growing in grace and we're walking in grace, and and no day of our life is perfect, but, but by God's grace, we're striving after the image of Christ that when we sin, John says, when we sin, Jesus has the power to cleanse us from all of it. There is no transgression, no stain, no hurt, no wrongdoing, no failure, no offense, no wickedness, no grievous, no sin that is too great for God's cleansing. He forgives of all, all unrighteousness. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgression from us. He forgives all sin, my friend. There is no stain too dark, too deep, too dark that he cannot cleanse. It's that old hymn that we sing, dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe, all who are longing to see his face. Will you this moment his grace receive? He forgives of all. That's great news. Because I'm looking at people that have sinned against God in more ways than one. And there is pardon. There is cleansing of all of it. You say, but Pastor Aaron, you don't know. Yeah, God knows. You don't know. God knows. And yet he forgives. And he forgives of all. Isn't that how infinite matchless God's grace is? Because we all think that there's levels to God's forgiveness and that there are certain things that it would be right for God to forgive me for, but there are others that I'm not worthy of. And the fact is we're not worthy of any of it. 
But God in his infinite matchless grace forgives us of all unrighteousness. So that word all is significant, but there's another word in verses seven and nine and they both say it and it's equally as important and it is the word if. Verse seven, if we walk in the light. Verse nine, if we confess. You see, here's the issue. God's forgiveness is contingent on our response. We must ask for it. If we walk and if we confess, the word walk there is this idea of to live one's life. It's a, it's a word that implies progress. The last number of weeks, I've been really trying to walk a lot more than I used to. I'm realizing for my health, I need to do this. And so I've been taking a number of days a week and going out on a couple mile walk and just the other week, we took the family and we're all out walking on one of the trail. And, and now listen, when you go on a walk, you, you just don't stand there, do you? Like, what's the point of a walk? To, to walk, but to walk where? You say, it doesn't matter, you just have to walk, right? You, you just have to go. And, and it's better to go in a direction and walk than just to stand there for an hour and a half and not walk, right? Like, like it's, it's actually really simple, but it's actually really profound. The Christian life is, is about walking. It's about progress. It's about taking steps forward. It's not about perfection. We are saved from the, from the penalty of sin. We're saved from the power of sin. But my friend, until glorification, until when Jesus comes, we're not saved from the presence of sin. And that means in this life, you and I are going to sin and be sinned against. But what matters for the Christian, what matters for every child of God is that we are walking in a certain direction. And we are walking in obedience. And it implies progression. It implies that we are taking steps forward in the Christian life. We're growing in maturity. God's children should not be going back in maturity. They should be moving forward in it. And when you walk in the light, John says, it's just another way of saying that you're pursuing the truth because the devil is the father of lies, but God is full of grace and truth. And that's why in our life, like that's why in Christian lives, that's why when we look at our lives with other people, some people can have a great amount of knowledge of God, but it doesn't change their life. It doesn't transform them. God's not after what you know about him only. God is after what you know of him, what you've experienced in your life, what day by day you're growing in and living in. John says, if we walk in the light, it's a responsibility of all of us to do something. It's a responsibility of every one of us to walk, to walk in the light. Because we want this fellowship that God promises. But can I ask you a question? What is the difference between fellowship and relationship? Are those the same thing? How many of you raise your hand and say, fellowship and relationship are the same thing? Raise your hand. How many of you say they're different? Raise your hand. How many of you are too scared to vote? Raise your hand. All right, thank you. They're not the same. Fellowship is not relationship. Relationship is not fellowship. Relationship is based on what? What's the root of relationship? Well, close. But the word itself, relationship itself, what does relationship imply? Related, relation, right? Relationship is about relation to one another. Fellowship is not that. Fellowship is about proximity to one another. Let me illustrate this for you. How many of you have a family? Raise your hand. 
None of us chose the family we were born into. God chose it for us. You have a relationship with your father, your mother, your siblings. You say, oh, no, pastor, I don't. Yeah, you don't have fellowship with them. You have a relationship that comes by birth. You have this relationship to one another in the family, but you don't have fellowship. You don't have, you don't have this close proximity. That's why, that's why sometimes, you know, you get around a family and it seems like it's so dysfunctional. I don't, have any of you ever done that? Like you've stepped into someone else's family for a day and you're just like, wow. Like y'all are related, but that's about all that's going for you, right? And then others of us have like stepped into a friend's family and it's just like, whoa, like this is what we want. This is what it should be. Why? Because there's not just relationship, there's fellowship, there's intimacy, there's relationship. My friend, the same is true in the Christian life. The same is true in the Christian life. You see, the moment that we come to know Christ as Savior, we are put out of this, com- this dominion of darkness and we're transferred into the king- kingdom of his son. We are, we are adopted into the family of God. I- I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. Praise God. I have relationship with God. But that doesn't mean I have fellowship with him. You see, fellowship is something quite different. Certainly we want that. Certainly we want a relationship that is full of fellowship with Jesus. But, but maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe, maybe you can remember a time in your life when you got saved. You were brought into a relationship with God. But here's the reality. Your fellowship with God has been closer in moments prior. If any of us can look back in our mind and we can think about a moment or a time in our life where our fellowship with God was closer then than it is right now, that's a problem. Because there was one time when a relationship with God was sweet, it was intimate, it was personable, it was close and strong, but over time... Man, the Bible bears witness that the, that the allurement of the world and the personal doubts in our life or maybe it's a lack of forgiveness, all of those things can fracture our fellowship with God. God does not only desire a relationship with you. God desires fellowship with you. And your soul desires that with him. Notice what John says in verse 6. Look at it right there. If we say we have fellowship with God, with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, and that's right where we would say, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship with God. Praise God, right? But that's actually not what it says. (laughs) It says if we have fellowship, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with whom? Wait, one another, wait a minute. I, I thought if I walk in the light as he is in the light, I have fellowship with God. John's saying, no, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, now you have fellowship with one another. What does that mean? What, what, what is the Bible teaching here? Well, it's teaching that our fellowship and our joy in God is revealed in our fellowship with his children. We would want the passage to say, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with God. But that's not only the the only thing that God's after. God wants you to have fellowship with his children. God wants you to have relationship with his children. Notice in verse 3, look back in your Bible. 
Paul sa- uh, John says, so that you may have fellowship with us and that indeed our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I remember Doc Mason used to say this years ago. He says, Jesus is the common denominator that brought us together. What does he mean by that? He, he, means, he means that we would not have fellowship with one another apart from Jesus Christ. And people who say that they're walking in the light and they're following the Lord have fellowship with God's children. If they don't have fellowship with God's children, it reveals they're not walking in the light. We are a family of God. We are one family. God has called us in the relationship to have fellowship with one another. We are not to be uh, separate from one another. Just driving home yesterday, we were down in, uh, up in uh, Washington, D.C. for my sister's graduation and driving back down the road and I was listening to a podcast and Jessica and I got to talking and, and she says, hey, she says, hey, I, I want to share this with you. It was something on Instagram, something that one of her friends had posted and I just want to read it. I, I'm not even sure the source, but let me just read it. They said this. They said, yes, I know the church is a people, not a place. The church is a body, not a building. The church is something Christians are, not somewhere we go. Yes, I know the church is a family that should meet and study and eat and fellowship and pray and serve the, the Lord throughout the week, not just on Sunday. I know these things. And if you've walked with God for a while, then you know them too, right? But I also know the church is marked, known, and enlivened by its regular, rhythmic, ordered gatherings. A body that is never together is more like prosthetics in a warehouse. And a family that never eats dinners or outings or reunions, what is it? They won't be a healthy family if a family at all. God has not put a warehouse of prosthetics together. He's put together a family. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God's family. And if we say we have fellowship with God, but we do not walk in light with his family, we lie and deceive ourselves. This is what Jesus said. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, Jesus said, you must forgive him. Mark 11, Jesus said, whenever you pray, forgive. If, I, if you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven may forgive your trespass. Matthew 6, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You see, in this passage, Jesus is talking about light and darkness. What's the darkness? The, the, the light is love. The light is walking in relationship with the love of God and the love of his family. What is darkness? Darkness is hate. It's what the Pharisees had. I mean, the Pharisees didn't love people. They hated people. And in our life, if what we do is not issuing from a heart of love, then John says we're departing from the truth. You see, the, the proof of our life, John says this. He says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, Jesus said, if you have love to one another. And I'll end this morning, the sermon, by giving you a story from the life of John. You see, what John is talking about here to fellow Christians wasn't something that he didn't understand. He wasn't telling you something that he couldn't relate to. This was deeply personal in the life of John. You remember when Jesus chose his disciples and he picked them and he sent them out two by two? We're, we're told in the gospels that there were these two disciples. They were known as the sons of thunder. One of them was James and the other one, can you guess who it was? It was John. 
These guys are the sons of thunder and Jesus sends them out to prophesy in his name. And remember, they come back to Jesus and they're like, there are cities out there of people that are not repenting and believing the gospel. Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven and just consume it? (laughs) How about more scorched earth policy? Jesus, let's just level it out. Remember what Jesus said? Uh, you You guys are speaking what you have no clue about. Right? Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And John in his life was transformed. I don't remember who John was, but we know he was son of thunder, man. And at the end of the New Testament, we read about John, and he's known as the disciple, the apostle of love. What a change. How how did you go from somebody who hated people, bold and just arrogant, to being a person that was controlled and dominated by love? I'll tell you who can do that. Jesus can do that. Because Jesus rewrote John's story. And Jesus can rewrite your story. And this morning, I don't care where you've been, but I know what you need. And what you need is a depth of fellowship and joy that only can come from God and the joy and the participation of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, you're one confession away from that. Just one. So I'm going to invite Jessica to come and ask you to bow your heads and Certainly this morning, I can't lead you in that for you. That's a personal thing. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this morning, friend, you may have been away from God. You may have come in this morning not realizing how far from God you are. But in love and mercy this morning, God desires you to be a part of His story. He desires His love, His grace to change you, to transform you. He's not done with us. He is not done with us. But this morning, as Jessica plays, I just invite you right there just to, if God the Holy Spirit has burdened your heart today, with something that is not walking in the light, something that is not bearing fellowship with one another. My friend, my friend, would you just confess that? Confession is simply agreeing with God. You'll agree with God about your sin. You'll agree with what God says. Just confess it. Confess your your love for the Lord. Confess your lack of devotion. Confess, confess maybe hurt or unforgiveness. My friend, all of those things are impossible with us, but they are not impossible with God. We're one confession away from fellowship and joy with God.
Listen to these words of Psalm 51 as you pray this morning. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Make your prayer the prayer of the psalmist. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Father, thank you that you forgive us of all unrighteousness. Thank you that you do not give up on us. Thank you that, Lord, you don't count sins against us. Thank you that you do not number our transgressions and then once you reach a number, you stop. Thank you that you love us without end. Thank you that you love us with full grace and truth. Father, thank you for your cleansing. Thank you for your faithfulness in forgiveness. And Father, I pray that we would be people that would seek out love, reach out. Lord, walk in the light with one another because we're walking in the light with you. God, for those this morning that said they were closer to you at a time past than today, Lord, help them by your spirit to grow, to, to de devote, and to, Lord, stir their affections for you. We thank you for all that you have done in our hearts this morning. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.